from Moby.co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing, you know, a pretty wild grab bag. We're sitting uh, in a situation here in America where one of our former presidents has now been indicted two times for various federal crimes. Sick. Um, The SEC and our uh, government has also declared war on the crypto industry, and that has been a wild run so far. And we are once again back in 2021 as Apple tries to make AR a thing. A lot of things to discuss, a lot of developments to happen now that the S&P 500 has crossed a critical barrier. We're 20% over the lows of October 2022, so we're kind of officially, air quotes, in a bull run now, being driven mostly by tech. We'll see how long that lasts, though. Really interesting times here as we sort of edge towards recovery, but as always, joining me to discuss that is CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co, Justin Kramer. Hey, man, Justin, what's good, dude? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Happy to dive through the conversation today. To your point, markets have started 2023 up pretty strong in the hopes that the Fed will start pausing their interest rate policy and that we're actually going to get a soft landing. So sentiment has been good, kind of driven by, you know, what we'll call a, a semi-lukewarm market, which uh, is always good to to see that it's not pure euphoria because that's how bubbles are created. Uh, but ultimately, a lot to talk about today, uh, whether it's the market itself, um, <clears throat> whether it's talking through the VR and AR and everything that's been happening with Apple, talking through a lot of the stuff that's happening with Binance and Coinbase and the SEC, the Trump indictment, you know, every week seems to bring a, a lot of news. So I'm excited to dive into it. Exactly. Yeah. And there's just like a, a lot of like little little pieces to put together here as we begin to figure that out. I even I completely overlooked the fact that it is also inflation season in terms of both the CPI and the FOMC meeting getting dropped within a day of each other a couple of days after this podcast gets published. So let's just go down like sort of like the breaking news, so to speak. Uh, this podcast is going to come out on Monday, which means tomorrow. Uh, once again, former former President Donald Trump is going to be arraigned on seven counts of what appears to be issues relating to his holding on to of classified documents, like literally stealing classified documents. There's apparently some espionage charges in there, some obstruction of justice charges. Uh, it's a much bigger indictment than what came previously from New York. So the main thing we talk about here is the markets, a little bit of politics. But Justin, as we look at this, uh, you know, the market's always going to be afraid of like a little instability. How are we looking at this here? Is this going to really affect the markets a lot? Or is this just like a crazy situation we have to watch out for in terms of like the 2024 presidential race? It shouldn't have too much of an effect. So for those of you who haven't seen the news so far, to Peter's point, uh, there's an uh, indictment happening by a federal grand jury in Miami that now includes an audio recording from 2021, where, again, Trump talks about secret documents um, and declassifying documents. And, and, you know, nothing should be relatively new here. Um, but again, I think a lot of this was then understood by him, understood by others, and the timing of DeSantis's run uh, an announcement and therefore Trump's non-announcement so far obviously heavy, heavily weighs upon this. As it then relates to the markets, it shouldn't have too much of an effect in the short term because A, a lot of this should be priced in. Um, but I think more importantly, what markets will be looking for and the B side of the equation is really understanding what the presidential landscape looks like uh, going into 2024 elections. So ultimately, like I said, in the short term, not much of an effect. But if this indictment pr- proves to really have legs and there's a, a real chance that, you know, Trump is found guilty of these crimes, then his ability to run 
uh, and ultimately become president is obviously severely diminished. Uh, and right now, a lot of the markets are pricing in um, that he'll be the likely candidate at the Republican Party and that he'll be going up against Biden, who is going for re-election. If any of that is to change and ultimately um, push the election in either way uh, so that DeSantis now becomes the face of the Republican Party or another candidate that is being discounted right now, um, then ultimately that will have a massive effect on the markets. We still are firm believers that Biden is likely to reclaim uh, his presidency uh, going in from 2024 to 2028. Um, but in any case, if DeSantis or somebody else pops up, maybe somebody a little bit more moderate that speaks to more of the uh, the totality of America, then obviously things can things change drastically. So we will we will see to see how this all plays out. We need some more information, more data um, before we can make a decision uh, either way. But obviously, this will have massive implications on the market. You know, if and when he is indicted, isn't indicted, depending on what happens with the Republican Party, then ultimately. You know, the presidency itself, uh, we're seeing, for example, with Biden and his Inflation Reduction Act, massive implications for stocks that are participating in the green energy sector. We had a stock report come out this week uh, on Lindy that's um, that's trying to help with decarbonization efforts. Um, so if he gets reelected or DeSantis comes in and completely or Trump comes in or another Republican completely slows down a lot of these initiatives, again, a lot of companies will have headwinds or tailwinds depending on the macro environment. So while there shouldn't be too many effects in the short term, in the long run, the presidency has massive, massive implications for certain sectors and then stocks within those sectors. Exactly. And I think, you know, just kind of addressing like what our audience has been asking us about this, like in the brief time we've been dealing with it, like it's only been 12 hours ish since the indictment has been announced. I think the main question is, is like, let's have a hypothetical situation where this somehow knocks Trump out of the 2024 presidential race. I want to be very clear here. You can completely run for president from prison. It happened during World War One. The a socialist whose name I forget um, ran for president against uh, I think actually, um, anyway, details aside, actually did run from prison. So the only way to like actually stop Donald Trump from running for president in 2024 is being impeached and removed by Congress. So going to be a really interesting situation if like these indictments have legs. He actually gets, you know, sent to prison and literally um, runs for president from prison, like on a platform of what, pardoning himself? I don't know. Completely <laughs> weird and unprecedented times. So let's get into some hypotheticals. Possible. Anything, right? So rather than like talk about the sort of logistics there, let's get into some other possibilities, some quick hypotheticals. Because one thing that should have made it clear that this was going to happen was the sudden influx of just like every rando from the Republican Party jumping into the GOP primary race. You've got Chris Christie jumping in. Awesome. Um, there are rumors about Mitt Romney potentially doing another run. Uh, obviously, DeSantis is getting getting a lot of gaining a lot of steam, and of course, Nikki Haley has some momentum now as well. So, in this situation where, for whatever reason, these indictments kind of keep Donald Trump from running for president, when you look at sort of the landscape, Justin, um, do, do you see this as kind of a lawn for DeSantis then, or do you see any other dark horses kind of coming in and kind of claiming that it's going to be pandemonium? It's 2016 all over again in terms of like we have no idea who the potential candidate could be if these indictments have legs and if there's some way that it kind of like convinces Trump to bow out of running for president. Not that that's likely, but we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because right now, like the way the the voting system works right here in the U.S. and the way it's set up to work is you obviously vote for the primaries. So who's going to be the Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee? And then you move to a general election where, you know, it's Republican versus Democrat. Basically, our, our, 
our World Series or Super Bowl of uh, of act- trying to elect the presidency, moving past playoffs into the finals. Um, so on the Republican side, um, and even on the Democratic side, but obviously with Biden running, it's it's not relevant. But on the Republican side, in the primaries, the people who show up to the primaries are very different than the people who show up to the general election. They're typically people who are a little bit more radical. And what I mean by that is whether it's for Democrats or Republicans, it's people who are a little bit more further from center. So far left or far right. Um, so typically it actually pays to be, you know, not conservative and a little bit on the wider end of the spectrum uh, if you want to win your party's nominee. So when we look at the Republican side of the equation, um, we see obviously Trump is, you know, pretty far right from center. DeSantis is the same. Um, and then you start moving to other candidates like Nikki Haley, who are more conservative and might appeal to more Democrats and actually have, you know, a bigger chance of winning in the general election. But when they try and take the Republican nominee, that's where they run into issues because they're not, you know, far right enough to adhere to the people who vote in primaries. So it's very interesting, the strategy that they have to go for. It's like almost be as radical as possible or as far right as possible get the people who are voting uh, for your constituency now, and then probably try and move a little bit more conservative to get to more voters uh, as the general election goes on. So, I mean, ultimately, when you look at the the parties right now, I think DeSantis Trump, even though he hasn't announced his, uh, his run for the next presidency or the likely two candidates, one of those two to take the top spot. Um, but ultimately, you know, a lot changes and you rewind to two prior elections ago. No one thought Trump was going to win and then defeated Hillary Clinton. So a lot is changing constantly. It's just, you know, from our perspective, these are how we likely see it playing out. And that's the main thing, too, to keep in mind is that this is since 2016, there have just been so many new factors in politics that make things very hard to predict. Like, is it even possible for any one of these other Republican candidates to pick up the Trump block should he knock himself out as a part of this whole legal battle? It's it's a huge question, right? Uh, leaning towards probably not, right? Uh, Trump loyalists, uh, they're a huge block and they're only going to vote for Trump. Like, Ron DeSantis hasn't pu- pulled a single percentage point off of Trump this entire time. And most of the sort of movements we see in the primary right now aren't folks leaving Trump. They're folks leaving the small lead that DeSantis had. So now it's it's Trump on top with like a sort of even mix beneath him, like a distant second place situation that Ron DeSantis has. And he's just losing market share as more and more people pile into this. So all of these people piling in are kind of anticipating that for whatever reason, Donald Trump's not going to be able to run for president in 2024, which is crazy considering that it is, you know, full on campaign season. Like the 2020 election got started basically at the end of 2019, uh, the end of 2018, right? That's when we were talking about Democratic nominees. Biden announced like very, very early uh, 2019, in fact. So we are already in the middle of the game, and this is a huge way to flip the board. But of course, this is a markets podcast, not a politics podcast, so we're not going to over-focus on this. Let's get into more sort of like, let's kind of gradually transition into the market from government to the market by talking about how the government do be affecting the market. So Justin, this week has also been a huge moment for the crypto space, as both Binance and, the, and Coinbase have gotten slammed by SEC lawsuits. The SEC is also working to seize the assets of Binance 
Binance.us and is potentially even getting U.S. banks to sort of stop transfers into Binance, which would be a huge, huge hit to, you know, the biggest exchange we have for crypto. And then Coinbase obviously being sort of like the biggest face of the crypto industry. As we look at this, I'm just trying to examine what's happening here. Like, is this ultimately going to be good for crypto? Is, is regulation good or is this the SEC just like finally getting in the game and just hitting way too hard, way too fast? Yeah, uh, it's a great question because to your points, Binance is the largest exchange in the world. Uh, they have a shell company that Binance uses here to operate in the U.S. And by you know directly attacking them, directly attacking Coinbase, we're not going to say that they're you know declaring war, but it obviously is going to have potentially a large impact down the road. And so while this following doesn't really immediately affect the full exchange, um, if you look like specifically at the language it does ultimately try and get to order the repatriation of all U.S. customers' assets. Um, and it's going to scare a lot of partnerships here in the U.S. Um, for people who rely on Binance to do either clearing or custodial work. Um, so, I mean, long story short, the SEC here really is just not cl clear. They don't want to be messing around. They're building up a new case for regulating the crypto industry. This is something that, you know, they've, they've obviously been working on in the background for a long time. But ultimately, the, both the lawsuits against Binance and now Coinbase are leaving really not a lot of room to negotiate. And this is going to be a big fight moving forward. And that's why we saw Coinbase's stock drop massively, um, you know, over the last week or so as this news developed. Um, and ultimately, it's going to hurt crypto investment if Binance can't do business and Coinbase can't, you know, potentially do business because that's where most of a lot, not most of, but a lot of the volume is coming. Um, so long story short, this is a, a real fight. Um, as the U.S. looks to highly regulate uh, crypto, as it honestly should have for a while now. Um, so we'll, long story short, we will see how it'll shake out. It's obviously not great for those businesses, for public investors. It's not good for investors in Coinbase. Um, something to note, though, we always talk about, you know, insider trading and what politicians know and don't know. It's actually very interesting that almost I think it was a half hour to an hour before the SEC announced the Coinbase um, the Coinbase uh, just like f filing that somebody bought a massive put position and shorted uh, Coinbase and then made millions of dollars uh, once that was announced. So it's not only made millions, but it was like a $10,000 position. Like they, what, 100x that position? Like it was like so well-timed and so well-leveraged that it was like a huge, huge boon for them. Yeah, no, exactly. So, you know, we talk about having, you know, access to information that the rest of us aren't privy to. Uh, and we don't have enough information to make acquisition acquisitions yet. Um, but again, just interesting to note that there's always someone knowing something behind the scene and making profiting. So, you know, even when you think you know everything, you might not have all the information. Exactly. And that's one of the most important things to keep in mind moving forward, too. Like, ultimately, you know, these regulatory frameworks exist so we all can make money. It's just that sometimes uh, it feels like the deck is stacked against you a little bit. So we're going to be watching this pretty closely. Obviously, the the main headline here is that there's going to be no real action here for months as people sort of like try to suss this out. Obviously, the SEC doing this to both the major exchanges that we have means that they're thinking about a larger regulatory framework. And that's kind of how the how Coinbase is currently framing it as well. I think ultimately, this is going to hurt Binance more than 
Coinbase in the end of the day, since Coinbase is the more American-based company, so I feel like the SEC is going to be biased in their favor, as they are one to do. But again, we'll have to see where this goes. The main news is that, you know, uh, it hasn't really affected the minor bull scenario we have in crypto. Both Bitcoin and Ethereum are only down about 2% on the week as this news hits. It's just pretty wild to see that the regulatory apparatus is choosing this avenue to sort of build the regulatory space here. And the crazy thing is, is that these lawsuits are big enough and Coinbase has enough will to fight here this could actually end up being the first time that the supreme court rules on crypto which would just be nutty i mean uh, that that supreme court ruling on cryptocurrencies that's going to be a wild ride and you know frankly i'm just here for it so watching the crypto industry pretty closely watching politics pretty closely as well but let's see more long-term stuff obviously something that has gotten completely swallowed by all this SEC Trump nonsense, is uh, Apple's huge WWDC conference that's happening right now. Justin, Apple is making a huge push into AR. We all watched it. The entire analyst team watched WWDC live together on Monday, and we saw the unveiling of Apple's Vision Pro headset. Um, literally two years after we did nothing but make fun of Meta for going way too hard into the VR space, bam, Apple does it too. And the market, you know, doesn't hate it. So, Justin, I'm just super curious. Uh, when we look at Meta going way too hard in the metaverse and then Apple doing roughly the same thing, only with a price point of $3,500, uh, why is the market digesting this a little bit better? Like, how are we feeling about AR? Like, is this, is this another head fake or is, this, is Apple going to actually pull this one off here, dude? I mean, before we make any predictions, if anyone's going to pull it off, it's definitely going to be Apple and not Meta. You look at the history of success for the company, Meta has historically always been product-driven via software. You know, obviously Facebook was a big hit. Instagram, they acquired big hit. WhatsApp, you know, the other products historically from a hardware perspective, they haven't had much success with. Whereas in Apple, everything they do is hardware. They obviously have, you know, a bunch of software that people use and utilize and programs and applications. Um, but ultimately, it's the hardware that makes Apple is what it is. The MacBook is huge. The iPhone put them on the scene. The AirPods in the in the in their own is a massive success. Um, and then ultimately, obviously what they've done um, now with, uh, with AR and VR, while it's not a success yet, everything they've done historically leads us to believe that if anyone's gonna figure it out, it's them. They are masters of design, they're masters of hardware products. Again, they are more or less kingmakers there. Having said all that, this is still really the early innings of what ultimately ends up being, you know, I wouldn't say a multi-year struggle, but a multi-year version, uh, vision. Um, vision Pro, no pun intended, um, more or less though played out as us and a lot of the market anticipated. And that's why when it was announced, it was kind of flat to down because a lot of it had been priced in at this point. Um, but ultimately, I think the biggest question mark going forward is what is the killer app? You know, what is the killer application for VR and AR? And it was the same question we were asking crypto. Sure, the technology is great, but what is going to be the killer application? A lot of people thought NFTs was the killer application of blockchain and crypto. Obviously, that hasn't panned out so well, and there hasn't seemed to be a massive use case yet. And so when we apply that to Apple and VR and AR, we ask ourselves the same question. The MetaQuest has been out for a while. It's had fringe use cases amongst gamers. Um, and during Apple's presentation, um, they made a showed a lot of different you know applications for what you would want uh whether it be on a plane and you're watching a movie in an immersive experience whether you're at home you know from a tv perspective the clear initial use cases 
are are very clear. But for consumers to all of a sudden replace their you know their 4K their TVs, their PCs, surround sound, all the things that they've already spent money for for a thirty five hundred dollar unproven headset um, that they ultimately need multiple of if they want to have a shared experience, that seems like a bit of a jump at least initially. And for them to have you know massive success to their actual P and L, you know they're they're the biggest business in the world. Like AR VR for them to you know, disrupt their own business would have to be one of the best product, the biggest product launches ever. So long story short, the headset doesn't even get released till next year. But again, we're in the early innings past TV use cases. We're looking at other areas to see ultimately when it becomes, you know, less of a moonshot idea and more of an actual day-to-day use case. They showed how it would work with, you know, with remote work, having all your screens in front of you, presentations, which we can definitely see as well. But again, they're launching this or telling you about it six months early so that developers can go in and try and build killer use cases around them. And that's always been Apple's goal. You look at the iPhone, the reason it was so successful outside of, you know, the technology is amazing, it's a great piece of hardware, et cetera, et cetera, was because of the App Store, which allowed people to build on top of it. Um, It allowed Uber, you know food delivery apps, like you name it, all of that were able to launch through the App Store. Um, and so while they announced this partnership with Disney and they've talked about uh, the NBA sitting courtside to games and the same thing sitting on the sidelines uh, for NFL games, again, they need developers to go out and ultimately try and build some sort of amazing apps around it, which we're not saying it won't happen. It's just obviously not apparent yet because no one's been building it outside of Disney. So. Long story short, we're going to have to see that come through before we can make real guesses and 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 ultimately predictions on if that happens. But again, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Apple developers want to develop within the Apple ecosystem. Um, it's just, again, similar to Meta, years in the making. Um, and it's ultimately going to take a massive, a massive amount of adoption for it to work. You think about the iPhone, you think about the MacBook, how prevalent they are in our lives. It's the reason Apple's making billions of dollars every year. If they want to make billions of dollars and have an impactful, this be impactful to their P&L, this is going to have to be something that everyone has. And again, for now, it just seems a little bit fringe in a sense. Um, We're not saying that people won't love it. It won't be a great product, but will it be the next iPhone? That's what ultimately makes Apple go from being, you know, a $2 trillion company to four or five. Does it become the next iPhone? Is it... Does everyone in the world have a VR AR set like they have a TV or phone? I think it's yet to be seen. And that's the most important thing to keep in mind too. Like that's why the $3,500 price target right now makes complete sense because you don't need to sell that many to make it, you know, roughly a successful device. And you're seeing a lot of like weird little sort of interesting design choices within the Vision Pro that make it seem like this weird blend of sort of old and new technology. And so this is not the iteration of the Vision Pro that's going to get wide adoption, obviously. I mean, no one's going to spend $3,500 on, you know, a headset when you can you know, get something much cheaper, even like a like a much larger TV for literally a third of the price, right? And again, it gets into that, what do I do with these kinds of devices? This is like a communal thing the way a TV would be, or is it just for like 
you know, having as a much better sort of like display as you do work. So this is going to be sort of the developer phase where they're going to sell this to very high end customers who are sort of on the bleeding edge, your Casey Neistat's, your whomever's, right? So we have a lot to see here in terms of what makes us successful, but it's going to be a five year process as they sell this device to really high end customers. They sort of put a lot of luxury branding behind it. There's gonna be a lot of uncanny valley stuff too. Like can the market get used to you're on a FaceTime call with somebody on this thing and it's a 3D representation of their face, like an actual like computer generated avatar of them and not actually them as opposed to seeing somebody's face on your phone. There's a lot of really interesting question marks, but that's what we like. And to, to reiterate what you said, Justin, if anyone's going to pull this off, it's going to be Apple, but this is by far their most risk, their riskiest product launch probably ever like in, in their history. So very interested to see how it plays out and very interested to see how spatial computing is developed, but we're not going to be a part of that. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> It's again, this is a, a multi-year project and like as a consumer, I would love for it to work. It seems great. Um, I was so anti, you know, the quest for a while, just very, very personal. Um, but it seems like Apple's building a great product. And so to your point at a $3,500 price tag, they only need a third of the adoption for it to equal an iPhone. But if you think about how big and like ubiquitous an iPhone is, you know, that's still a third of a scale is still massive adoption. Exactly. Especially at Apple scale. So it's something really huge to keep in mind. So we'll have to yeah, see. The like, smaller companies yeah. doing it, it's a different story. It's like, you know, say I, I started an ARV or company tomorrow, I'm selling it for 3,500. Well, all of a sudden, you know, a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand people get it. And I'm a public company who has no revenue. Well, that stock is going to be one of the hottest stocks of all time. And it's going to absolutely fly the shelves. But when you're at Apple scale, you need products that are as big as the iPhone because you're making so much money. You know, another 10, $100 million in revenue isn't a game changer, but it is a game changer for a lot of smaller companies. So again, for Apple to do well and for it to impact its stock, it has to have tremendous scale. But there's no reason that smaller companies, you know, can't do extremely well. And we might not, we might not know it now, but there's going to be the next Uber, you know, the next Instagram out there somewhere that maybe isn't even a company yet that ultimately ends up building the most killer VR AR application um, that we're not aware of yet. There's this ultimately ends up unlocking an entire ecosystem of new developers and new types of companies that can build around it. So, you know, the next five to 10 years are going to be truly exciting and the winners in it might not even be companies that exist, exist today. And that's the most important thing to keep in mind. Like it's so interesting to see how this can become an actual model here because the way we think about it we only really think about it in terms of what we already know like we were pitching a bunch of different business ideas and it was kind of the same thing watching people think about what people would use the iphone for we thought about entertainment we thought about gaming nobody thought about the potential of using your phone to like have a massive service like uber or have a massive service like facebook be kind of like entirely based around these devices so it's really interesting to see exactly who's going to win here again i'm not sold on the metaverse as a concept at all yet like there's there needs to be so much more development there and I'm just really interested to see like how the avatar side of things kind of begins to develop. Is it just going to be ready player one or are there going to be actual better ways to connect with people as we develop sort of a spatial computing space? Complete question mark here. Still very bullish on Apple itself because everything else they're doing is carrying them right now. So great big bet to have on the future. I'd love to hear more about their AI efforts because they are developing AI chips. They've kind of alluded to it. But that's the main thing I want to see is how they're going to power such a ludicrously uh, such a power hungry and processing hungry device moving forward as they make it smaller as they make it more able to be more widely adopted so again we'll have to see but just
Justin, as we round out here, one more important thing to keep in mind, our audience has been asking us this the most, we should have maybe let off with this a little bit more, but the S&P is in, in bold ter territory officially, like obviously it's the very beginnings of bold territory and it's hovering around the edge. We're out of sort of like the sort of really bad downturn period. Um, how, should we, how should we be thinking about investing? Is sentiment going to change kind of rapidly here now that we're in a more air quotes bull times? Or should we re like remain that conscious, that sort of cautious attitude and outlook we have given, you know, where the market's kind of carried us over the past two years? I don't think much has changed in that sense. And if you've been following us for you know a while, hearing what we've been putting out, the research that we've been recommending, a lot of it is being you know cautiously optimistic again. Like we're not on the other side of this whatsoever. Earnings have still compressed a bit, um, and the expectations are is that it will persist going forward. Obviously, the unemployment rate has stayed down. The economy has stayed strong, um, even though the the rates have gone up so substantially. So. Um, until we get word that the Fed is not only pausing, but decreasing, those risks remain elevated, um, that things can reverse course any day now uh, or any week. So while the, the market is, is obviously been on a good run, it's they're thinking that the Fed is any day now going to pause or reverse rates. But again, until that happens, we have no indication that that is definitely going to happen. And so there's definitely been like this euphoria in the market thinking it's happening, but should the Fed come out and say, you know, we're not going to be doing it until 2024 or 2025 or wherever, that has the impact of completely reversing the narrative almost overnight, and especially if economic numbers start coming out and things get worse. So, you know, as we've been cautious, like saying for a while now, just be cautious, um, continue to look at what the Fed's doing, and then ultimately try and get ahead of it. Again, the market moves in advance, so it's guessing the Fed's going to slow down. But when we hear the the Fed speak recently, they're very torn, which is is honestly, it is a good thing. The fact that they're not all unanimously saying we should be raising rates means that they could be coming to the end of their interest rate hike cycle. But when we look at inflation, we look at the Fed's target, it's still way above those numbers. And until they revise the target, which they're not going to, or they get closer to beating their goals, we still think that interest rate hikes are very much a possibility. And so We'll get word of it, you know, later this month, have a better sense. We can do an update then based on new economic data sets. But again, this 20% bull market, um, a lot of things in our eyes are still very overvalued. It doesn't mean things can't going up. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be owning stocks. But we just think from our perspective, we're continuing to average in buying opportunities when they see them um, and just being cautious and, you know, not putting put it going all in at any point. Exactly. And once bull runs like actually get going, they sustain way longer than bear periods. Bear periods are, you know, uh, in more recent years averaged, you know, about like a max, not a maximum length, but around sort of like a shorter, like two year time period, whereas bull runs have been more on a 10 year time scale. Uh, that average, you know, gets a little bit spread out as you go further back in the 20th century. But as we keep watching this, like it's way better to be late to the actual bull run than being early and getting caught in a bull trap, right? So don't be like, oh, bull run, jumping right in now. This is great to see. We're probably going to dip out of that bull period a couple of times as volatility catches up because, again, the S&P is being massively buffeted by the huge AI rally being driven by NVIDIA, Apple, Meta, all these companies suddenly getting efficiencies from the AI space. That's not going to trickle down to other companies in the S&P 500. We're eager for the S&P 500 to get rebalanced a little bit. One of our favorite stocks, Palo Alto Networks, is gearing up to enter the S&P 500, which is, you 
you know, great to hear. It's an exciting time sort of watching this market and watching real developments. But again, it's still really important to maintain the sort of cautious outlook because it's still very early to the good times if we are in fact just going to stay there, if we are in a soft landing. So main things we're watching next week, audience. Next, we're going to get back-to-back -back inflation data points from both the CPI getting printed on Tuesday and the FOMC telling us if we're raising rates at all. So we'll give you an update on that. Justin, one thing that has gotten completely covered up by the mayhem of this week is it's looking really, really... We're very confident now to say that the counteroffensive in Ukraine has, has begun. Russia blew up a dam earlier this week in southern Ukraine, and the Ukrainian army responded by just doing a massive counteroffensive. So there's going to be a lot of updates in terms of where the Ukrainian conflict is going, which will be huge in terms of thinking about how food inflation is going to keep happening for the rest of the year. So we're eager to see how that plays out, but we're going to give you audience updates on that next week. So next week is all inflation, all Ukraine. Really appreciate your time, audience. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Great conversation as always baffled by how this ends up being half an hour and we barely talked about anything any final thoughts from you man before i go ahead and read the credits here dude no of course you know obviously a lot we jam in with uh only a limited amount of time there's always more we want to talk about you know SoFi, a stock we covered just went through our price target a bunch of others we'd love to update you and see what's going on there just nuked um, our price target dude we are it's it it hit real hard yeah exactly so obviously you know we're being a little you know very honestly contradicting ourselves. We're happy to see our stocks price target hit, but at the same time, we're saying that a lot of stuff is overvalued, which again, leads to us being cautiously optimistic, finding opportunities, even if the market's overvalued, finding opportunities that are undervalued or even fairly valued and putting more into it. So again, it's a stock picker's market um, and just be be cautious going forward. There's still a lot of potentially, you know, black swan events waiting around the corner. We're not saying it's going to happen, but you know, the risk of it is not completely negated either. Exactly. But regardless, like it's it's a good philosophy to always be sort of like cautiously optimistic, regardless of the situation. So audience, your main through line is always going to be invest for the long term, find those places where you have a little bit of extra leverage and push through and make sure you just hold through this and, you know, invest intelligently as opposed to putting, you know, trying to find those moments where you can make millions of dollars off of a $10,000 put on Coinbase that's timed, you know, suspiciously uh, too perfectly, right? Regardless, audience, we really appreciate your time. Just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. Um, all the intellectual value from the flagship pod here at Moby.co comes from our analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here. If you want to get more from us, you can find us over at app.mobi.co where you have more of our sort of long-term perspective, but you can also find us over on TikTok and Instagram as you get more of our day-to-day -day insights into how the market is developing. Regardless, audience, really appreciate your time. That's a great place to end it. So as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.